following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just love you so much. And when one of your disciples asked how to, how to pray, Jesus responded like this. He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What a tremendous yet very simple prayer, talking to God, acknowledging him. So this morning, the message is called God's Plan, Reaching the Lost. That's God's plan. And our text this morning will be in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 10, and we'll get to those in a couple of minutes, but... That's it, Luke 15, verses 1 to 10. You know, at times, I and maybe you probably feel as if it would be much easier if we could be like Lucy in the old Peanuts cartoon. Lucy says to Charlie Brown one day, I would have made a great evangelist. And old Charlie looks and says, is that how are you going to do that? She says, well, yeah, I convinced the boy in front of me at school today that my religion was better than his. Charlie Brown said, well, how did you do that, Lucy? And Lucy said, I hit him over the head with my lunchbox. (laughs) You know, (laughs) some of us, and I have seen this, you know, I have at home, I call it my foot-breaking Bible, and I used to use that when I was taking long airplane rides, and it was a great way to start conversations because I would drop that very thick Bible and try to get the guy next to me's foot so then I have an introduction. Hey, that Lord, that must have been a preordained. The Lord made me do that. You know, there's a, uh, has anybody ever read the book, The, uh, the Prayer of Jabez? Job, Came out a couple of years ago, and, and Bruce Rick, uh, Wilkinson wrote it. And in the book, he, Wilkinson explains the reluctancy of believers and how, how they have it, that, they have a reluctancy to go out to be a greater influence of Christ in the world. Some of us just aren't wired that way. And he explains that this, uh, of this reluctancy by using two mathematical equations, which if we had them, I'd show them, but it basically looks like this. My abilities plus experience plus training, my personality and my appearance and my past and the expectation of others they equal my assigned territory. It's kind of like it's all about me, right? If simply stated, I think that prayer should sound like this. Lord, please use my abilities such as they are. Give me the experience and training that I need. Make me a better person. Don't let anyone find out what I'm really like. Help me to be what everyone expects me to be so I can have more influence. Wilkinson writes, our God specializes in working through normal people who believe in the supernatural God who do his work through them. God's math 
and if I had that slide, it would look like this. My willingness and weaknesses plus God's will and supernatural power equal my expanded territory. It's not all about me. It's what God's going to have me do. And this morning text, uh, it'll be on the screen, uh, or if you have your Bible, a copy of God's Word with you, I'd like you to follow along with me as I read uh, chapter 15, verses 1 to 10 of Luke. <clears throat> now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, some translations say mumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if one has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulder and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. Just as I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And then to further uh, amplify it, Jesus uses the parable of the lost coin. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together all her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. So just so, as I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God when one sinner repents. I'm dry. Now I'm wet. Our text for this morning speaks of Jesus as the one who welcomes sinners and tax collectors. And he's also ridiculed, he's ridiculed, he's ridiculed by the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, I don't know exactly where we fit in in this text, but I think I have a good idea where. He's brought together two models in the world concerning reaching out. The first model is the one that Lucy used, force, bang him over the head with her, your foot-breaking Bible and you'll be all right. And I don't mean to demean Islam or, or Muslims right now, but the Muslim theology is if you can't win them with the Koran, win them by the sword. The second model was the equation that Wilkinson shared first, that my abilities and experience and training, my personality and, and uh uh, experience my past, the expectations of others, that equals my territory. So it's all about my abilities and my past and my training. Now, both of these models don't work. And so most of us don't become the working models. The reality of all this is that God's it's God's business. And we have st started acting as if it's our own business. Have you ever gone on visitations? Anybody ever do a visitation? When you get through a visitations, I've heard this many times. Well, I got, I saved one. I got one saved today. And they take it like, it's all about me. Yay! I saved, I saved. Listen, we didn't save a soul. 
We didn't save a soul. It's all about God. He died on the cross to save us. Our job is to arrange the meeting between the person and the Holy Spirit. And then let God, the Holy Spirit, do what he does best. Because I can't do the job of the Holy Spirit. Our text also teaches us that it's a reality of our God and of his desire to see to see all come to him. See, Christianity isn't one of these exclusive clubs. You don't have to pay an entrance fee. You don't have to pay monthly dues. Jesus has paid our way in. He bought it with his blood. So my my thesis this morning is reaching the lost as God wants us to reach the lost because it's his plan. It's also seeking the Savior who shows the way. Seeking a a Savior sets out as an example. You know, Jesus, he wasn't hanging in with the in crowd. He was hanging in with the out crowd. And according to the religious folks of the day, Jesus welcomed these sinners and even dared to eat a meal with them. What kind of holy man is this? Seeking a savior who tells us a story is important. And again, like just as last week, Jesus breaks down the truth until we so easy that we can get it. That's why he uses parables. But do we really get it? The lost sheep and the lost coin share one motif, if you will. Something is lost and there's a need to find it. In the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus makes this statement. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds out? Is that what a good shepherd would do? Think about it. Maybe not. Not so much. And Jesus is making that point. Would you really leave 99 sheep in the open country and have no shepherd to protect them from wolves and straying away? Last week I told you I love cowboy movies, right? And I love it when they do the roundup or in the, they, they, they go back for that sheep. One guy goes back, the other 20 guys are taking the herd the other way. But one guy goes and does it. And Jesus is making a point here. In the parable of the lost coin, though, the amount of 10 silver coins, I did some research on this, the loss of one, uh, about one coin, well, 10 coins equal about uh, 10 days worth of wages. 10 coins, 10 days. Scholars say that it would take almost three months to save that amount. And by all means, if you lost a day's wages back then, you would look high and low for what you found. Or, I know some of you are business guys, if you lose the receipts for a day's business, are you going to stop and look for that? So the IRS is going to be looking for you, isn't it, Sharon? Yeah. And Jesus is making a point. Do you get it? Do you notice the effort it takes to find what was lost? 
I think it's all about, all of them put out in a, cons- uh, a concerned, full-in effort. Seeking a savior, though, sets a contrast. What's explicit in the first three verses of our text, and probably first three is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were in disagreement about when Jesus practices associating with sinners. Anybody know a sinner? You're looking at him. The rest of you all should put your hands up because I see a bunch of sinners out here. And if no one ever told you that, I'm doing it with love. Okay? Find God. <laughs> What's implicit in the text also is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they certainly didn't seek out sinners. Do you get that? You know, there was a story I read. There was a, a boss of a big company, and he needed to call one of his employees about this urgent problem with one of their computer systems. It's kind of like Braun. When our computers go down, we panic, and first thing is we're calling Braun. So he dials the employee's home, and he whisper, and it's he dials the number, and he's greeted with a child's whisper. Hello. Feeling put out by the inconvenience of having talked to a youngster, the boss says, is your daddy home? She whispers back. And he says, may I talk with him? And to his surprise, the boss was told, his voice says, no. So wanting to talk to an adult, the boss asks, is your mommy there? Yes. May I talk to her? No. Now, knowing that it was not likely for that young child would be left home alone, the boss decides he would just leave a message with the child that he should watch for someone that should be watching over them. Is there anyone else there but you? Yes. A policeman. Now, wondering why a cop would be, what would he be doing at the employee's home? He says, may I speak with the policeman? No, he's busy. Busy doing what? Talking to mommy and daddy and the fireman came to whisper. Now he's concerned and he's growing worried as he heard what sounds like a helicopter coming over the house. And the boss says, what's that noise? And the little girl says, it's a helicopter. And he says, what is going on there, asked the boss. Now he's kind of irritated. And in this whispered voice, he said, the search team just landed the helicopter. And so the boss said, why are they there? Still whispering, the young voice replied, kind of giggling, they're looking for me. Oh, I hear That's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> Celebrating means to throw a party. It's kind of ironic that today is Super Bowl Sunday because there's going to be bars open and everyone's having a Super Bowl party and families will be in arguments because they don't think the Eagles are going to win. Did I say that if you're a Cowboy? Any Cowboy fans here? Good. They won't admit it anyway. But 
celebrating means throwing a party. And what did the shepherd do when he found his ten sheep in the parable, his lost sheep? First, he throws the stinking sheep up on his shoulders. Anybody ever been around sheep? They're dumb and they stink. Very dumb. There you go. And But he does it joyfully. He says, I got my sheep. What would you have done with that stinking sheep? I probably would have used that little staff and kept whacking her until she got home. But no, he throws a party and he invites his friends and neighbors and said, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. How much would that one sheep be worth? Think about it. How much would it cost the neighbor to throw a party for his friends and neighbors? What would it cost you? So do you get it? Jesus, he's not done yet. And if you're an English teacher, part of my grammar. But Jesus ain't done yet. The coin is found, the sheep is found. So the woman who finds the coin, what's the lady do? She calls all her friends and her neighbors together, and they throw a party. Think about this. If you were going to invite your friends and neighbors today, how much would it cost? Some pastors and theologians say this, that that one piece of silver, what was it worth? It was worth one day's wages is what it's worth. So Jesus uses the shepherd and the woman to make his point. And there are two groups of people that leave very little recommendations in their culture. You know, the shepherd, we've talked about that before, that wasn't a real good job. You know, you were the outcast. They didn't trust you, which is Ironic that Jesus uses them to announce the birth of the baby Jesus. Also, the woman losing the the coin, big deal. It was to her, so she had a party. So why might Jesus use insignificant people, insignificant in quotations, as his model? Celebrating means getting all... For us, it's like all heaven involved. Do you notice who else wants to have a party? Concerning the lost sheep, Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven. Remember what he says after that? Okay. And with the lost coin, Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there will be rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. The bottom line here is that all of heaven gets involved when one lost person is found. When someone gets saved and they accept Jesus Christ, I always tell them, the angels are dancing in heaven right now because they have another brother or sister that's coming to live eternity with them. I won't tell Well, I will. No, I won't. <laughs> you want to hear it? Okay, it's good. There was there was one there's a story about this eight year old girl who wanted Abraham Lincoln who was running for president. She suggested that he grows a beard. And this is a true story. In her opinion, Lincoln would stand a better chance of election if he kind of hid the homeliness of his face. And if you look at 
pictures of Abraham Lincoln before the beard and after the beard, he's still an ugly guy. But he hides it. Now, Lincoln could have been offended, but he instead he answered her letter per, personally, and he thanked her for her, her suggestion, and he said, maybe I'd like to visit you with you if I ever come to your area. So the day of that one day, uh, Lincoln's campaign trail was scheduled to pass through the town that this young girl lived at. And at the station, the leading Republicans were wearing their top hat, and they had a shiny marching band, and all the town folk were out there in their finest attire. Almost everyone was there except the little girl. She was left at home. After all, the father thought, Lincoln would only be interested in the politicians and their speeches, the vote and the voters, vote and voters, not the attention of a little girl. So it happened that as the campaign train was approaching the town, it was forced to stop for repairs. And Lincoln did not want to sit in a warm train, set off, and so what he does, he sets off, goes across the field looking for this little girl's home. And Lincoln introduces himself at the door. The maid was speechless. It's the president. But the little girl and her playmate, the maid's daughter, welcomed him in as if they were expecting him. The two little girls were praying, pretending to have a pretend party, drinking pretend hot cocoa, hot chocolate, and they offered President Lincoln one of these cups. So after a while, Lincoln said, I have to be going. He thanked them for the party, and he asked the little girl, how do they like his new beard? Then he walked to the waiting, waiting train. When Lincoln boarded the train, it started on his way and went right through town without stopping right past all the dignitaries and all the bands playing loud and everyone dressed up. Lincoln didn't come to visit the people who were putting on a show for his benefit. He came to visit and say thank you to one little girl who wanted to spend time with him. We need to spend time with God. We have to carve out time in our busy calendars. You know, we do that. We have that 12, five days, January, 10 days, February. Every month you add five more. But I'll tell you, that's become really beneficial in my life. Um, Do we spend time with God? Because if you want to know who God is, how do you find him? He gave us his book to get to know and love him. He gave us the instructions, but are we too willing just to be waiting and say hi, or do we really want to know the president in this case, or Jesus himself? Ascending Savior shows the who. It's the who of it all. There were sinners. There were tax collectors. There were those who had not yet repented. They were the ones in our culture, might seem insignificant. Don't have a lot of money. Have a, live in a little tin house. Don't really get invited to all the city affairs. The Rays never call me and say, hey, I got a box seat for you. Come on down. The, the who's that I'm talking about here are the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. They were the good folks who haven't yet bowed down to the Lord and Savior. 
You know, there's a lot of people that play church. Let me say it again. There's a lot of people that play church. Imagine this. You're leaving your house. Cindy's there and pretend we had kids. And I'm just, the kids are making me crazy, so I have my face on. I say, Stop that. You know, we go to church and you guys are making too much noise. I, I want to listen to the radio. You pull into the driveway, you take this mask on, and you reach under and you put your, bless you, brother, love you. Love you. Sure do. Amen. Preach on, pastor. Don't preach past 12 o'clock, though. <laughs> put our church face on. It gets us out at 5 minutes to 12. We go out to our car. We take off that face and put the other one on and say, boy, that preacher, he's long-winded. Didn't understand a thing he said. Might have to call a meeting of the deacons. You know? <laughs> oh, I'm cute today, aren't I, Richard? Yeah, there you go. You know, I wish I would, Being a comedian, now I know why they like it. People laugh. That's pretty cool. <laughs> the who for us, though, is Jesus. Do you remember where it all began at the beginning of the Scripture? The key phrase, I think, may be where they muttered or grumbled. And what was all that grumbling and mumbling about? Jesus wasn't hanging out at a church. He was just hanging out with these people who needed him. He wasn't out there with the 99 other righteous people who did not need to repent. So, question. Where does that text fit in with us as a church? Where does the text find us as individuals? There was a Greek poet, Jose, who wrote this. I tell, if you tell me who you love, I can tell you who you are. If you tell me who you love, I can tell you who you are. Most of you have heard of Max Lucado. He's a dynamic uh, Christian author. He said it this way. The sign of the saved is their love for the least. The sign of the saved is their love for the least. And Bill Hybels, he's a pastor of one of the largest churches in America. He kind of echoes that thought. He says, we never have never looked at eyes of somebody that did not matter to God. We matter. We matter to God. Each of us. My personal favorite, you all know Dr. Chuck, uh, uh, Charles Swindoll. Radio guy. He says, you can tell me a person, about a person by the way they treat those that can do nothing for them. It's pretty powerful. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they treat those who can do nothing for them. Jesus says, suppose one of you, suppose one of you, if the worship team would come up, uh, and join me this morning. Weren't they great? What a song set this morning. I, I'll tell you, Lori, thank you for the song set. It, it was just, maybe almost cry. Almost. But you know, the, the New Testament offers a picture of God as Jesus. You know, and when you read 
the word in the Bible, the Old New Testament, it doesn't sound vague. You know, when Jesus talks, he's, he's not talking in co- concepts that these people wouldn't understand. He's very clear about what people should do. The New Testament offers a picture of God as Jesus, and like I said, he is on point all the time. God has sent his son to earth and he, to suffer and die for us. He has a distinct plan for each of us personally, and you know what? He can communicate directly with me. I grew up uh, Irish kid from Boston, Irish Catholic kid from Boston, and on Thursdays, I went to Catholic school, product of the Penguins. Some of you get that. Product of the Penguins, the little black and white. But um, (laughs) on Thursdays, we'd have to go to confession so that on Sunday, we can receive the Lord's uh, communion time. And I bought into that for many, many years that I, I had to go to a priest to confess my sin. And for that man to give me penance, things I'm supposed to do, ten Hail Marys for our fathers, one after contrition. When I got saved, I didn't have to hide in a box anymore. I could talk to God directly. It wasn't like I had to pick a phone. Uh, God's busy right now. Please leave a message and we'll get back to you sometime. God's not like that. We can talk to him anytime. And I am so grateful for that. Because what I was doing before, I was hiding, going into a box. No one would see except for one person. I believe when we repent, I know the angels hear that, and they're, they're happy too because we're repenting. We're telling our Savior, our Lord, that we love them. Repentance is such a great gift. Well, how do you figure it's a gift? Repentance is saying, I'm sorry. And I don't know about you, as a guy, the I'm sorry word kind of has to be poked out of me. Because I, I would say, I don't need to apologize. You knew I was only kidding or... I'm sorry. I, you just we don't. I don't like to apologize, but it's crucial. God sent His Son to Earth, and He has a distinct plan for each of us personally on how we can communicate directly with Him. God, or we, we're capable of forming a direct relationship, direct, individually with Him. And you know the interesting thing? We are not asked, we're commanded to try. How strong is your relationship with God, Trinity? How connected are you with them? You know, we're told in the text this morning 
that they, we, this can only be done through Jesus. And when we're offered the prospect of eternal life, what a great offer, eternal life. We're offered an afterlife that is happy and blissful and glorious. But if we believe all these truths, or even a tenth of it, you know, I don't care what translation or version of the Bible you use. If you use the NIV or the NLT or the ASBB and RS, you know, it's, it's become alphabet soup. I used to use the NASB. Now I use the ESV. You know, I'm going to be totally honest with you right now. I would like to think that God is giving me a call. At one time, he told me to drop my job, leave my job, sell my house, throw away all my earthly possessions, leave everyone that I know, and set out into, into the world burning with desire to know more. And then when I act, when I found more, I was supposed to act on it and tell others. Moving is tough. Changing your lifestyle is tough. But I, you know, to a lesser degree, when I made my big moves, I was attempting to apply the call of the Great Commission. And when I realize it's a call, I can and I need to do so much more. You know, I, I talk about the Great Commission, and I'll do this someday. I have 12 commissions signed by different presidents of the United States. And when I was commissioned, that becomes my legal authority. I'm able to tell sergeants and lieutenants and everyone below me, give them a legal order, they have to obey me. I have to obey those that are senior to me. The thing is, it carries the authority of the President of the United States. Then, I have a commission over here. Go. Teach. Make disciples. That's the legal authority we have. We all seek for authority. That's it. Go make disciples. Tell them about Jesus. There are people who are starving for the word. Starving. They have Bibles in their house. They might have been there 50, 60 years. So, you know, the pages have never been opened, so the gold leaf around it looks brand new. That's my mother, by the way. If I asked her to find the book of Mark, she wouldn't, she wouldn't have a clue. And she went to Catholic school, Catholic college. She goes to church every Sunday. But you ask her the books of the Bible, doesn't have a clue. Well, I have a Bible, okay? What do you use it for? Marriages and deaths and births and stuff? People are starving, and we have the solution to starvation right here. God will meet our needs and exceed our needs. You know, anybody ever have 
the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists knock on the door? They used to do it to, when I lived in the Panhandle. I lived in a parsonage, and you had a big front porch, and you took a right, and you go down to the end. There was a door that said pastor. And I had my front door over here. So all the time, they come to the front door. I say, oh, would you meet me at that door? So I walked to the house again over there. I said, oh, look at that. It says pastor. Yeah, oh, now they're off script. And can I, I said, I'll tell you what, don't leave. I'll give you as much time as you want for you to tell me about your Jesus, your God. But I want equal time to tell you about my God. Well, you know, it's nice talking to you. We have about 20 other people we have to see today. Amazing, they keep coming back because they keep getting different crews to go out. So it kind of became a game, you know. I think finally after two years, it was like I'm on the no-call list. You know, I believe we're able to understand anyone who believes that what's written in the Bible, they should choose spending some waking time in that endeavor. Basically what I'm saying is spend time reading God's word. When we have questions, you know, they're in here, the answers. I think part of the problem is we don't like those answers. He wants me to do what? Right. He wants me to go out of my comfort zone? I went on a mission trip to Bulgaria. You might not believe it, but I don't speak Bulgarian. But I had a translator, so he was pretty cool. But I was really, when they Bulgaria? But I went, and they ended up loving the people so much, I went back again. They were gypsies. But you know what? They all had their own Bibles. And they took the scripture to heart. When you go to church in Bulgaria, with the gypsies anyway, you spend the first hour just singing. Then the preacher will talk for about an hour. Then they have two hours of more worship singing. That's before you eat. And so you eat, and then they go back and have another hour of praise and worship. Do we do that? How many of you would like to be here for like five hours on Sunday mornings? There's a true hand right there. Most of us say, you want me to do what, Fred? Why not? You guys could sing for a couple more hours, right? You got a song list over there. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor will never let me get on the pulpit again. <laughs> but, you know, we should be spending time with our fellow Christians You know, we should spend time with sinners, too. Not to be in this righteous posture, slamming you on the head with your Bible or your lunchbox. We should be able to talk with sinners and in a polite and loving way explain why knowing Christ is so important in their lives. That's You know, you don't have to go to Bulgaria to be a missionary. You go out here, when you leave the parking lot, it says, you are now entering your mission field. We are. What's outside that gate? 
people, if you live in St. Pete, Gulfport, Pinellas Park, wherever, there are lost people who probably live just down the street from you. Maybe even next door to you. Maybe you even have them in your family. You know who the toughest people to worship, uh, uh, preach to or try to evangelize to? It's family. Because they know you. Oh. <laughs> when, I just, when I was called to be a pastor and I told my family, they're like, okay, what, what scam are you running? They couldn't believe it because they knew me. They saw me. But they have a hard time seeing me now as a repentative sinner who loves the Lord and loves them. And that's what we need to do. Pastor talks about it all the time. Love God, love people. So where do you stand this morning? Do you get it? What are you willing to do to be faithful in making disciples? My prayer is for this week, we should seek the Holy Spirit for guidance and inspiration. Lord, how can I witness to to the world, to my neighborhood, to my family? Let me tell you, I'm not going to change the world. But there get more and more groups, more and more people working it. We can change the world. Do you believe that? No. You don't think we can change the world? I believe if we go to the Lord, he can change a lot of hearts. And you know when you read the last book in the Bible, not maps, Revelation, (laughs) it tells us there will be a judgment and you will meet God. And it's not good to be told, I never knew you. We have the Great Commission that tells us to go and make disciples. God didn't suggest it. He said, go. And I believe when we do these things, if we ask in God's will, he answers the promise. He promises to answer us. You know, people say, well, I, I prayed and I didn't get it. Well, it wasn't in God's will. Do we understand God's will? Hey, let me tell you, God is not a, a cosmic Santa Claus. Where you go to him and say, I want this, I want this, and I've been a good boy, so I expect it to happen. That's not our God. God loves us, and he wants us to multiply the flock. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.